This podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official travel partner of the Seahawks. I'll be traveling with Prime Sport to New Orleans this year to watch the Hawks play Drew Brees and the Saints. You can come too. Just use discount code HAWK10 and get 10% off a travel package including airfare, game tickets, hotel, and a pregame party. Hope to see you there. All right, guys, here we go again. Uh, week five, I guess it would be, of the uh, weekly Softy Hawk Blogger podcast. Uh, joined now, as always, by our friend from hawkblogger.com. Find him on Twitter at hawkblogger. It's the legendary blogger himself, uh, Brian Nemhauser. Brian, how are you, pal? I'm fantastic. How are you doing, Softy? Uh, I'm good. What a huge win for the Hawks last week in New York. You and I talked about this game, I think, uh, after week two or three of the season, and we both admitted that that game was going to be a tough one uh, to see the Hawks going on the road and winning in New York against that defense uh, with a banged-up quarterback, uh, offensive line still trying to find their way. And as I said after the game on Sunday, and I'm sure you agree, I don't think you can underestimate how big that game was to get last weekend. It was huge. It was huge on a number of levels from the geekiest, like, scientific facts about how early season wins have a greater bearing on (laughs) um, late season success, all the way just to, man, this is a Jets defense that they gave up 24 points the week before when their offense had eight turnovers on the road. Mm. And you went in there with a hobbled quarterback, the rookie starting his first game at guard, uh, with Tyler Lockett wearing as big of a knee brace as, as Russell Wilson's, and you beat him handily. It, it was, you know, the score was close at some point, but the Seahawks had that game well in hand. It was it was really exciting to see. Yeah, the final score, as they say, was not indicative of the way that game went. I mean, obviously the Jets got that fluky garbage touchdown on the, the sack fumble by Cliff Averill when everybody thought the play was over, but you take away that, and obviously the defense was outstanding, but I want to go back and talk about Russell Wilson for a second. I mean, heck, he was better on one leg than he was on two legs. Uh, 309 yards, three touchdowns, and uh, all this talk, and you can sense that Pete Carroll is even getting tired of hearing about it because he's gone out of his way a couple times in the last two weeks to mention that people that don't think Russell can throw from the pocket basically don't know what the hell they're talking about. And I I thought, Brian, that the last eight games of 2015 showed people that, yes, Russell Wilson can still throw from the pocket, but for anybody out there who still doubted that, uh, it's hard to doubt that after Sunday. That's right. And, and you know, what you heard from Pete when he gets on that little soapbox of his about this topic, you know, he does eventually get to the caveat of he showed us that last year. Right. So it's not like, you know, he, he always starts by saying Russell's always been able to do this. <laughs> but then he always does bring up, you know, last year as when he took this major step. So I don't think we're imagining things to say, you know, Russell Wilson did used to struggle a little bit to play within the confines of the offense, to throw the ball in rhythm, to, you know, execute the plays as they were drawn up. I, I think that is something that was, you know, harder for him and something that wasn't natural in all cases. That's okay. It doesn't mean he was bad. It means he was a young, young quarterback. And, and he's absolutely shown growth, um, you know, exponential growth and being able to play within the, the, the offense, hit receivers on time, get rid of the ball quickly. And, and look, you know, when you come back and you look at how pass protection's going now, yeah. you know, I would say even the sacks that were given up, there was two sacks given up to that Jets team. I would say both of those were on Russell. And so there's still room for him to improve a little bit there. Yeah. Um, but this is just... This is a team that is starting to mesh, and and the thing that gets me most, uh, you know, 
enthusiastic about what's to come, Dave, is show what's the part of this team that's a weakness. Mm. I have one in mind, but what do you think? What do you think is a weakness right now of all the parts of this team? Uh, well, I've I've got a couple of them that come to mind. Uh, you're putting me on the spot, and I was yep. not prepared for a test, by the way. Uh, <laughs> well, but I would that. say this: that there's two things that come to mind right now that I want to see this football team do better. Uh, number one, I just think more consistency with the run game uh-huh. uh, is one of them that would come to mind for me. And then number two, uh, I still think there might be an issue down the road when it comes to tight ends against that defense. Yeah, I, I think I think the first one's the one that definitely sticks out to me. And if you said at the beginning of the year, if someone told you that the one thing the Seahawks were going to have to get better on throughout the year is running the football, yep. how would you have felt about that? I would have felt pretty good. Right? I yeah. mean, this because is... if everything else is working... That's right. That's yeah. right. And you've got Tom Cable, which... If there's one thing Tom Cable can do, it's teach an offensive line how to block the run and teach a running back how to run behind it. I mean, he's proven that everywhere he's been. That is among the least areas of this team that I'm concerned about. So, so if that's really the one thing right now that, that's kind of standing out, I think they're really set up for, for, for a good success and, and, and you know, couldn't come too soon because they're going to face a lot of good offenses. Right. And, and they got to start, uh, you know, I think getting healthy on offense against uh, some bad defenses. Well, and the other part of that, and you just said it right there. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you threw that in there because we've brought this up on the show this week that I think it's in what, like seven of the next eight games, and nine, whatever it is. You got Rodgers, you got Cam, you got Breeze, you got Brady, uh, you got Ryan, yada, yada, yada. But you also got some pretty porous defenses too. I mean, Atlanta uh, was terrible up until the game with Carolina. And when the Panthers started scoring, it, the game was really out of hand to be honest with you I was watching that game on Sunday and that Panther defense uh, was just getting picked apart by Matt Ryan but that Falcon defense played pretty well and then Derek Anderson came off the bench and tore him apart but the game was over I just don't think that the Falcons still have a really good defense overall and let's face it man what we're all talking about the change in quarterback play as far as the quality of quarterbacks they'll see starting next Sunday versus Atlanta uh, but the only reason why we're talking about that is because they've been facing nobody in the first four weeks of the year it's just it's just kind of odd how it goes from you know 0 for 4 as far as name brand quarterbacks to all of a sudden 5 for 5 or 6 for 7 however we also have seen the Seahawks defense shut down some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL including Aaron Rodgers including for the most part contained Tom Brady on a couple of occasions so I don't know man I don't I don't find myself too concerned about it and I think the run game for me uh, Thomas Rawls will eventually be healthy CJ Spiller's role will increase and this offensive line will get better when it comes to blocking the run. I mean, hell, that their pass protection from week two to week four has taken an exponential jump. I mean, what they've done in that area of the game has been pretty awesome to watch. It has, and and I I put a an article up this week about just a bunch of different stats that are standing out, and one of them absolutely is the sack rate for the Seahawks right now is uh it's under six percent. They rank sixteenth in the NFL. Um, they haven't. I mean, Tom Cable's never ranked above 25th in that number. Where was that last year at this time? Um, at this time, it they was are 32nd. way right. They are was, way ahead of where they, they were. They were so yeah. The, the sack rate is is half of what it was last year for opponents. Um, you know what, let me let me interrupt you. When you say sack rate, just so people know what we're talking about, that's sacks per number of dropbacks. Is that correct? Correct. All right. Sack, sacks per number of dropbacks. Um, and so, like last year. You know, it was twelve over twelve percent of the dropbacks at this point were resulting in sacks. You know, it's half of that now, and and that's that's huge. And and another couple stats that I'll throw out there 
for you. You mentioned about, yeah, we're going to be facing some better offenses, and, and you can assume that the, some of those are going to have more success than some of the teams we've played so far. But here, listen to these two things about the, some of the defenses we're playing. Seven, seven of the Seahawks' remaining 12 games are against the worst 15 pass defenses in the NFL, mm. as judged by passer rating. As of right now, after four as games. As of right now. Yeah. Yeah. Seven of the Seahawks' remaining 12 games are against the worst 15 run defenses in the NFL, as judged by yards per carry. So, you know, you're, and they're not all the same defenses, but some of them are. So you're talking about <clears throat> they're going to be playing, at least so, you know, teams that have started so far, most of their games the rest of the way are against pretty mediocre to bad defenses. And, and this offense is just finding its stride. I think you, you mentioned C.J. Spiller. I got to say, he showed me more than I expected in the first game. He looks like he, he's yeah. not a Fred Jackson. That guy's got something left in the tank. I didn't think he'd even play in the game on Sunday. I didn't either. <laughs> so I was surprised to even see him out there to begin with, but to see him contribute the way he did and then to have that presence on special teams with him as well to give Lockett a blow is great. And I also love the timing of the bye. I mean, it's funny how when the schedule came out, a lot of people were complaining about the early bye, but my God, right now it looks great for two reasons. The obvious, which is getting Russell Wilson healthy. And then number two, if you think that Pete Carroll and Chris Richard and that coaching staff are all sitting around doing nothing this week you don't know that coaching staff because they all of them are getting a game plan together right now for Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and the extra week to get ready for that team I love that absolutely Uh, I mean I think uh, you're just starting to see them figure out what they have to work with and I think you know I think the reason you're hearing Pete um, pretty uh, effusive in his praise of the team so far is I think some of the big questions there were like okay is Frank Clark going to step up? Are they going to have enough of a pass rush? Um, as of now, this is the best pass rush Pete Carroll's had in his time in, in Seattle, statistically. Um, you know, it, people talk about the 2013 squad. You know, that was a team that ranked sixth in the NFL in sack rate. Same, same thing as, you know, flipping around on the defense this side. Um, that was at 7.5% that they, they sacked the quarterback uh, per dropback. Uh, they're fourth in the NFL right now. They're eight point eight point eight percent. They're they're uh, really showing a level that they haven't reached before. Mm. The last few years they've been down in the sixes. So uh, you know they ranked in the bottom half of the league in that stat. You know people forget that 2013 squad. They talk about how great the pass rush was. The person that had the most sacks on the team, you know, was eight and a half sacks. Was Michael Bennett. Yeah. Bennett and Clark are both on track for twelve. Right. You know, so so there's there and, and then you got Bobby Wagner. You got KJ Wright. There's there's a lot more. Um, propensity to blitz and get the linebackers involved. So I just think some of the biggest questions have turned into strength. Yeah. And and I think that's a really, really big deal. I wonder how much of that blitzing mentality, by the way, has come directly from the players. Uh, because I remember talking to, I think it was Bennett uh, and also a Brian Schofield a couple years ago when they were off the kind of a shaky start defensively. And I remember him, O'Brien, saying that they went to Dan Quinn and said, hey, uh, unleash us. Let us get after this guy. And they made some changes and they got after quarterbacks at a great rate in the second half of the year. And I just wonder, you know, look, I mean, obviously it's Pete Carroll's baby. It's his defense. As long as he's here, the defense should be fine. But I, I'm just kind of wondering out loud how much of that was the players over the offseason working with Chris Richard and saying, hey, we can get to the quarterback. We trust our secondary. I want you to trust us because they are being more aggressive, and I love watching it. Well, you know, Richard actually had an interesting comment on that, and Pete did as well in preseason. Um, they talked about that they've worked significantly in the offseason about 
about um, being a, a better blitzing team was the exact words they used. And part of what Pete got into and he explained a little bit more is that's not just getting to the passer. That's one part of it. The other part is how that connects into their, their coverage and, and how they play when they're we're doing that and what their drops should be and all that kind of stuff. So they've made a you know conscious effort to, to make that a bigger part of, of yeah. how they play defense, and I think it's paying off. All right, let me throw a curveball at you, pal. All right, all right. you're going to start throwing curveballs at me. I'll just fire one back at you. Love Seems it. like a good time. We're kind of at the quarter pole. I know it's week five, but four games in for the Hawks right now. What's been the most surprising player for you? Who's been the most surprising player for you on this football team? Because I have uh, one of mine. That's easy as far as I'm concerned. It's Jimmy Graham. Mm. I I expected him early to be back would be second week of the season. I expected that, you know, it would <laughs> it would be a slow walk, um, you know, as, as he kind of got introduced. And, you know, he – I was – honestly, Dave, if you'd asked me four months ago, five months ago, I wasn't convinced he was even going to play this year. Yeah. Like, I, so I'm just – thrilled um, by that development for sure. Yeah, that one would be a great one and, and I'm with you by the way on thinking that there's a chance he may not play for the Hawks. I mean there was a point in time, I think it was over the offseason maybe training camp where we talked about hey this guy might go on the IR and not be available until week 8 of the season so it is surprising uh, to see that and uh, look, the, the the guy that I'm thinking of is not really a huge surprise because we were talking about him during the preseason, uh, how good he looked, but uh, man I'm telling you right now I'm so happy for Justin Britt because this is a guy who's on his third position now in three years, and he looks like a guy who is this close to earning that second contract and is about to be this team's center for a decade. It's it's true. I mean, I think that it's a it's a great it's a great call out, and and you know, in the preseason, I kind of seen what I needed, so um, it didn't jump out to me as the the top surprise. I think that's a really good one, though. But he's continued it. He's, I mean, look, absolutely, there had to be something in the back of your mind that said, "Hey, the guy looks great in preseason, but let's see what happens when the bullets fly." And we, you, you literally can go an entire game and not hear his name called once. I know, I know, and to hear, I mean, I've been listening. uh, Hugh's been doing a great job of, you know. Each week, kind of talking about guys playing well, and and on the line every week, he's talking about Justin Britt, and you know, I know, I know he's not a homer. He's gonna, he's happy to call out those uh, uh, those offensive linemen in those cases, and and uh, everywhere we're looking, even Pro Football Focus, who says the Seahawks have the worst line in football, yeah. had Britt as one of the top ten players in the NFL last week. So he's he's making a real difference. Um, I think a Fetty now coming back, uh, Glowinski's getting a little bit you know more under control. I, I think that there's reason to be really optimistic about that stuff. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that both the players we called out are on offense. Yeah, well, you know what? And here's the thing that's really exciting for Seahawks fans, I think. I, I still think that there's a better than 50-50 chance, if not 75-25, that you'll see two different tackles on this team next season in Gilliam and Sal. I, I think those guys at some point in time are on the way out. It may be next year, maybe one of them next year, maybe both in two years. But as a fan, the idea that you could be looking at Glowinski and Britt and Afedi playing together for what, the next four or five years? Yep. That's pretty awesome. 
Yeah, and and uh, it's a good thing you mentioned that. You, you remember uh, a number of years ago, you, you harassed me and and harangued me. To, I never uh, harassed you ever. What are you talking? I about? know, I know. Five year contract outlook. You wanted every player on the team, yeah. or at least yeah. most of them, and you wanted their ages and you wanted their contract status, and then when they were coming up. And so that's back up on the site, and I updated it, and you, it really like it jumps out to you that. You know, this is going to go from everyone just being so frustrated, including myself, about, you know, the Seahawks spending the least amount of money in the league by a long shot on their offensive line. What are they doing? They're going to destroy us to that being another genius move by John Schneider to get an offensive line that's young, talented and going to be on the come for could be five years. Um, at really low cost. And so um, I think that's a huge, huge part of how this team can be a, a contender yeah. for years to come. You agree with me on the on the tackle thing, by the way? I do, I do. And in fact, you know, there's, there's some little hints coming out here and there that it may not be next year. You know, George Fant is a guy they really like. And, you know, it could be game 12 and they decide, you know what? He's he's you know eclipsed uh, Sal. Maybe we want to start rotating him in, or maybe Sal goes out with an injury and doesn't get his job back. So I, I do think there's a chance some of that could happen. Jamarcus Webb, as much as none of us are thrilled with how he's played, I think he's going to push you know both guys, um, and and you know he's another option. And so I think there's a chance that some of that'll happen. Yeah. But can I? I know we got to wrap up. Can I go on a, a little bit of bring up a topic, a, a ranting topic for a second? And if I said no. Well, you know, then then I'll just say it quickly. <laughs> How about it, man? So I don't know if you've been hearing this, but you know, Vikings fans, Broncos fans, you know, everyone's like getting high on their defenses. And you know, last year we had to listen to how the Broncos defense was the best ever, and and uh, you know, it, it's amazing. And the 2013 Seahawks defense kind of was fading in people's minds. And uh, I just want to tell you, I've I've gone back and I've looked at this. Um, and, and first of all, the comparison between the 2013 Seahawks defense and the 2015 Broncos defense, there is none. The, 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 the 2013 Seahawks defense stood far and away uh, above the Broncos defense. I won't go into all the details there, but there's an article up there that people can check out. But I did something uh, recently. I just looked at touchdowns and points allowed since 2012. Mm-hmm. Since 2012. Since 2012. Since the end of 2012 or the beginning of 2012? All of 2012. Gotcha. So since the Seahawks started leading the, the NFL right. in points allowed. Right. Dave, I, I can't even describe it. I, 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 I can only show you this chart, but it looks like see, the Seahawks have allowed 1,061 points um, all the way up until this last week, last week against the Jets. Mm-hmm. Um, the next closest team in the NFL is Cincinnati during that time. They allowed 1,330 points. It is such a gap between Seattle and everybody else. And, and then you got this, everyone else is bunched together. Seattle is this huge outlier yeah. in how much they've allowed. And you go back, I can go back and look, I'm going to write about it now. You look at the Bears in the 80s. You look at the Steelers in the 70s. There's, been never, there's never been a defense that stood out from what everyone else was doing in their area era, yeah, yeah. like this Seahawks defense. Um, and and just one last thing I'll throw out there, you know, I went back and started looking at what has this defense done? All the defenses have done since week 12 of last year. And this, the reason I did that is that's when Kerry Williams came out of the lineup for the Seahawks. Seahawks passer rating for opponents since week 12 of last year, 62.1. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Denver. 73.8. Minnesota, 80.5. In that time span. In that time span. Yeah. yeah. 
points allowed. Seahawks right. 13.9, Denver 17.7, Minnesota 16.8. This Seahawks defense is the best. There is no comparison, and all the other stuff out there is just hype. It's not based in reality. Well, I think I think what happens when it comes to the greatest defense of all time conversation, I think a lot of people like to live in the moment, all right? They, they, they really do. Uh, Denver last year, for example, what the Vikings are doing right now, I saw a comparison after four games to what Minnesota's doing versus what the 2000 Ravens did. Everybody likes to live in the moment, and it just it, it drives me nuts because I still think that, you know, look, obviously what the Bears did, the Ravens did, was incredible. But to shut down the greatest offense of all time in the Super Bowl may have been the one single greatest thing a defense has ever done. And shutting down the greatest offense in the history of the NFL in 2013 is a lot different than doing it in 1980 or 1990 or even 2000. So I just, I don't know, man. I don't know why they don't get more respect from the national media. But you know what? I don't really give a damn, honestly. I think we all know as Hawk fans how great this defense is. They're still very much in their prime. They're adding nice pieces with Frank Clark and now Deshaun Shedd's playing his ass off. Uh, you're seeing what that defensive line can do when they have some depth for the first time in a couple years. So it's all good, man. And just get the bye, rest up, and then come back and beat the Falcons' ass and get the 4-1. Let's ha- make it happen and, and get that uh, get that win over the Ducks. Can you make that oh, dude. Uh, hey, listen, if it were up to me, if it were up to me, this would have ended about 11 years ago. <laughs> but it's not up to me. All right, pal? All right. All right, man. Great stuff, Brian. That's Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger at HawkBlogger.com. Find him on Twitter at HawkBlogger. Uh, good stuff on the website. Check it out, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.